Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Real quick announcement I wanted to make before today's episode. We are super excited because we just released six new financial modeling training courses on Wall Street Oasis. You can check it out on the homepage, wallstreetoasis.com or wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Um, we're super excited because it includes Excel modeling, valuation modeling, DCF, LBO, M&A, financial statement modeling, basically anything you will need to master financial modeling and hit the ground running day one. Definitely don't wait to check it out because there is an early access discount going on right now. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey. And this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Ryan shares his interesting path from graduating as an engineer in rural Canada to pivoting to get his MBA from Oxford several years later. Learn why he ended up joining ENY's Transaction Advisory Services upon graduating and how he was able to land a hybrid job in private equity and venture capital within one year in London. We also hear why he decided to leave it all behind five years later for a new degree to get back to his technical roots and what his new business is up to now. Enjoy. All right, Ryan, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Patrick. Good to be here. So it'd be awesome if you could give everybody a short summary of your bio. Uh, yeah, so my bio, I'm a bit of an oddball, I think. Um, but I'm a passionate a WSO reader, by the way. So thanks very much for everything you put together. It's been such a valuable resource for my ah, career. Thanks for the kind words. Um, yeah, so, so my bio has been, uh, so I graduated from engineering in my native Canada uh, a bajillion years ago. And I spent a brief period of time there working as an engineer uh, before I decided I want to sort of make the jump into finance. Uh, and I did that by doing an MBA. I went to go study at the University of Oxford. Um, did, I guess what you'd call a triple jump um, into ultimately sort of venture capital and a bit of PE, uh, where I did sort of mostly real estate, private equity. And um, did that for many years, about just over five, six years. And um, ultimately decided to go back uh, across the table again into entrepreneurship after that. So I went back and did another master's degree uh, in computational data science and use that as the foundation for starting the business, which I now run, uh, which is a small team of uh, data scientists. We're called Zenlytic and we are building a no code data science tool. Very cool. So how, sh- how should I think of like uh, Zenlytic? It's Zenlytic is how you say it? Zenlytic. That's right. Yeah. How should I think of that in terms of like competitors or where can people learn more? Just to give you a little plug. Zenlytic.com. Yeah, um, <laughs> Zenlytic.com. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. Um, so it goes in letter.com. 
uh, think of us as, as a, uh, an analytics tool that's capable of answering deeper questions with your data. So a lot of the tools can answer the what questions really well. So things mm -hmm. like, you know, what were my sales last quarter? Or like, how many users did I have yesterday? Um, but they sort of fall flat when you start to ask the why questions, uh, which is, you know, why did my sales go down in March of last year? Uh, mm -hmm. Or simply, how could I increase my active users? Um, and those are the sort of questions you go to ask a data scientist for usually. Um, our tool essentially automates that, looks deeply at the data, checks thousands of combinations to give you all sorts of new insights, and mm -hmm. helps you answer some of the why questions with your data. Really cool. And analytics.com. <laughs> so let's start all the way back at undergrad uh, for you. For so sure. I'd love to hear, so was F finance ever on the radar, or were you like engineer all the way um, when you were in school? Um, no, uh, you know, finance, when I was in undergrad, finance was actually a very murky prospect for me. It's something that I always thought was really interesting. Um, but uh, to be honest, like I, I went to, to undergrad in engineering in like a smaller school in the middle of Canada and it never, it felt so far away to me. It didn't even, I didn't think it was on the radar. So like it was kind of a, a what if kind of scenario. And um, I guess I, I overestimated how far away it was because it wasn't you know, crazy because you have to make that transition. Um, but it certainly wasn't my top priority coming out of undergrad. So when you were graduating, I think around 05, um, you, did you, you joined a, a firm as an engineer right out of the gates and what was that like? Did you, did you like it? Did you not like it? Was it what you expected? Yeah, it was fine. Um, yeah. So I joined a, uh, sort of a mid-sized engineering company and I was actually doing hardware engineering building stuff, which is cool. Um, and th there's, you know, you know, this trade-off between that and finance for sure it was great to to actually be building real things you know like at the end of the day if you did a good job you could walk out and sort of kick that thing and you can you know kick it with your boot and you're like yeah we built this which is which is very rewarding and very satisfying you feel granted you actually feel like you're very productive mm. um i guess the only reason i switched is because i was i was still sort of landlocked in the same place and i wanted to diversify out and you know yolo man you gotta try out go out and try as many things as possible in this life so i uh, uh you know I, I i always wanted to take a step of of abstraction, which is kind of that trade-off. Um, you uh, you lose the ability to kick the stuff, but you also get to look and see the forest from the trees as well. So uh, I guess finance was, my paradigm was I can move up and sort of start to look at the bigger picture and make sort of like, you know, more broad decisions. When, um, when did you start thinking about, so you were out, you were an engineer for about four years, or almost five years. When did you start thinking about an MBA and how did you go about um, thinking where you wanted to go? Because you know, going to Oxford, you went to London, right? So going to, going across, across the pond, it's a, it's a, it's a ways. Uh, so why they are, <laughs> how did you think about like what you wanted to do after? Did you know going in? Um, no, so I guess, um, so starting from the start, I, I guess after about two years, I decided to make that jump. And my, my sort of paradigm in life has always been to try and, uh, try and do everything for two years. Like if I set up to do something, um, you know, plan to do it at least for a couple of years, uh, first, you owe it to yourself to give it like a fair shake. Uh, also, you don't want to like a real jumper and run from thing to thing, basically. Um, so after that sort of two-year period, I guess I was like, I gave it some serious thoughts. So, okay, you know, I'm going to start making a decision. And it was kind of just one of those things where once you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen for you. Um, so I'd slowly digest it. It was about a year before I actually applied and, you know, I took the GMAT and I did all the necessary precursor work. Um, the reason that I, that, that I chose Oxford was a couple fold. Um, first, because I was trying to diversify geographically, I figured the best way was to try and do it in a fairly 
Is this when you came across Wall Street Oasis for the first time or no? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was probably about when I started reading Wall Street Oasis. And I'm pretty sure, you know, like I I can't pinpoint any exact moment when I was reading it and I had an epiphany, but I'm pretty sure that it played a role in making that transition, you know, I remember poking around WSO and sort of seeing how, you know, it's actually, um, that was, that was a long time ago though too. So there's like fewer people at it, but now it, it, it does a really good job painting a picture for what life in finance is like. I think that is one of the helpful things about Wall Street Oasis is you, you really understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I and um and that was still it was more at a nascent stage back then. That was a long time ago, man. But I don't, we, uh, I don't know, man. I I just saw a thread today that made me like shake my head. It was like fifty million dollars in private equity by age fifty. Am I crazy? Like yeah, this guy had yeah. a whole spreadsheet and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy all of his assumptions are super rosy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it's funny you mentioned that because um at that point in time when I was an engineer. I was, I was very, I've always been analytical, but um, I had a spreadsheet and it was, it wasn't that 50 million, 50 million thing, but it was just like, I had taken my engineering job. Um, and you know, I was, this is, this is about year two and I'd taken my salary and added 3% every year or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, I, I figured out my mortgage and my taxes and I, you know, it was, it was a big spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I click and dragged it all the way down to like 90 or something like that. <laughs> And I had this like, you know, kind of dollar precision. Like, oh yeah, okay, this is good. And I was like, okay, if I go down this road, like I can see all these every every quarter. And I had it by age 90, I'm sure you had like $20 million or something crazy if you reinvested it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, is that, yeah, something like that. I mean, there's some power yeah. compound interest thing where I could, you know, retire mm-hmm. at 45. And it was, it, was a, it was, I don't think it was, I think it was actually just like single digit millions, um, yeah. which is, again, I guess it's kind of testament to like being landlocked in like a, what did and you? Like what a, was your pay coming out of school at that engineer, the entry level engineer, like sixty thousand, seventy thousand Canadian? It was about sixty grand Canadian. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was fifty-seven thousand Canadian was my first paycheck, and I remember getting it. Not a bad guess. Felt huh? like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I mean, hey, the guy runs was just like, your job to know, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I, uh, yeah, so you nailed it, and I remember getting that job and feeling like, I'm rich. This is great. I'm, I'm making a ton of money, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, you know, that was, that was actually, that is, wasn't that's a, a ton of money, right? In the, especially in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, a low cost living place. And mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, but no, I definitely, it was enough to cover my needs. I didn't feel like I was struggling at all or anything like that. Um, but there was something more you kind of wanted to take yeah. a, a, a layer higher, not just for compensation, but also just thinking abstractly, not being so like, um, concrete, concrete with everything you were doing, not like having to touch everything, yeah. actually thinking theoretically. Yeah. And, and I wanted excitement too. Like that, that's, that's, that's what the spreadsheet led me to believe is I dragged it down. I said, okay, look, like, all right, this is good. I'm set for this. I'll be comfortable my whole life. This is great. Mm-hmm. But I looked at it. And I was just like, huh. And I was like, this looks pretty boring. <laughs> like, I don't want to have this all split up. So then basically as soon as I made my first step change, like I threw out that spreadsheet and I realized that one, one, one change in things, you have to make a new spreadsheet every time. So it's probably not worthwhile to actually, you know, like expect to follow that the whole way. Keep redoing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's like, um, there's a whole so, thing about planning there. Were they so anyways, I chose Oxford. Yeah, were there other careers outside of, you know, like finance or YMBA? Like, you were, were you thinking investment banking, you know, M&A? What were you thinking of going to get your MBA? Um, yeah, so I when, I, when I went into my MBA, um, I, I had a few things on the radar. Private equity and venture capital um, were probably the top of the list. Uh, and then it was also just in consulting. Um, so the usual stuff I, I, going into it, I had a pretty, uh, pretty poorly formed understanding of all those going in. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's really, you know, Fair. again, what I, what I found online and like I yeah. talked to a couple of people, but it wasn't a really thorough process. And I, I really planned to spend my time there, you know, figuring that out, answering those questions that I wanted to do. Which I wouldn't um, recommend to people, by the way. <laughs> do that. The more people you can talk why to. Why is that? I would say the oh, more yeah. people you can talk to before to mm, get a yeah. really good sense. I, I mean, at least for now, how it is now, this is over 10, but this is, I was getting the MBA at the same time. I feel like um, timing that, especially PE and VC, it's super competitive. Um, and mm. so not having that framework going in of knowing, oh, I need to be networked with these people, like, or if I don't already have those networks built out before I start the MBA, it's almost mm. impossible. Um, so yeah. I don't, that was my, pers- I that's that's my perspective. I, I mean, it's not like you have to have it all figured out. I think the, the MBA is really nice to explore new things, but it, you can have a real nice leg up if you know what you want kind of going in. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I think it's very fair. Okay. Um, and actually some of the, even more you know, so with the MSF programs, like the one year mm, degrees, like yeah. you're, you get on campus and you're recruiting for your full-time job within like a month or two. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Actually, one of the reasons that I chose Oxford uh, was for the one-year program. And, uh, you know, the European programs are all generally a, a year, 15 months long. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my approach to that going in where I was kind of murky at the start, I think that might be achievable with a couple of years and you've got a you know summer break in between to go and try something yeah uh it's it's definitely a lot harder to do with a one-year program be it msf or mba so tell and, me how um, you when you got there what, what was it like um yeah it was well it was it was drinking from a fire hose for sure um like i said i, I didn't have a great understanding of any of this stuff going going into the mba and it was kind of like there's that one year was like the elastic snapping of me catching up with everything basically um which, which worked well. I mean, it was, it was a really, really busy time. And it was like a really, uh, you know, there's a lot of work involved, but it was like a really exciting time too. So it was a fantastic year. Did you um, feel like, do you, looking back, do you wish you were at a two-year program? Or did you feel like it was enough to kind of get you up to speed and you don't regret kind of going there? Yeah, it's, Not that it's, it's a, a great, it's obviously a good school, but like, would it have been better for you as without the finance background? Because I know for me mm-hmm. and for people who had already done like investment banking, a lot of those yeah. half the courses you're just cruising whereas right. somebody who's yeah. like from a, even an engineering background like all of a sudden you're building financial models and you're like <laughs> i know you're technical so you probably picked it up really yeah. fast but it's like if you haven't lived in those programs for two years it's different yeah for sure i mean so i feel like so the coursework i still found to be a piece of cake to be honest um i feel like uh people that are the sort of quantitative kind of background can can pick up the the level of quantiness for an MBA yeah. quite quickly. And it's because it's such a diverse class. You've got like people who are very, you know, rigorous mathematically or people who are not. And I feel like when you've got to capture that whole spectrum of people, the people who have done the rigorous stuff before, um, analytically at least, you, you really don't have that problem. And it's a little bit, uh, you might have an adjustment getting into what was you know, drinking the software. What was drinking from the fire hose then? From So the coursework academically wasn't too tough for you, but it was just, was it just, <laughs> everything being new other other than that yeah so to your point i mean there's there's a lot more than just the course the coursework so like like you said i, I was doing my first job applications within like four weeks of, of arriving basically mm-hmm. um and like you know the, the the big three consulting firms which were on sort of my target i was like okay now i can kind of figure out like if i want to be a consultant and they're like all right apply now and i was like really okay and so i uh yeah i jumped right into who <laughs> i'm writing these MBB applications and then doing case study interviews for the first time at, you know, at the same time on 
also trying to do my research about what's going to happen next. And then I'm doing, you know, meeting new people and sort of like getting into class. Why are you doing research? Sorry. Why are you doing research of what's going to happen next? What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, uh, so that's, you know, that's like, I, I was started applying for consulting and then, but I really had to decide, um, you know, while I was learning how to do this oh, case study interview, do I want like, to be a consultant? Did you right? even want to do it? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's you're right. in the it's interview saying, I would love to be a consultant. And you're thinking like, do I really want to do this? And trying to figure mm-hmm. out, do I want to do something else? Or can I do private yeah. equity or can I do VC? Yeah. Got it. I see what you're Okay, and then, like you say, there's only a year. You got to do a lot of networking, and especially when you're doing like a triple jump, like I did, um, it takes a lot of work. You know, just just to set up that next career path, basically. For um, sure. So those and all those things put together, combined with just MBA life and stuff, you keep very very busy at it. Uh, and that's sort of going back to your question about one year, two years. It's it's a tough call, and there's there's merit in both. Um, I'd say if you're gonna do a, a big career jump, the two years is probably best. Um, because you have more time to do that. You have a, you know, summer break to do an internship in the middle. Um, having said that, you know, I, both my master's degrees were one year programs. Uh, so in a way I kind of got a bit of it. You save a lot of money (laughs) in one year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You save a lot of money and you save a lot of time too. Um, it's like, you know, I get two for the price of one in a way. So yeah, uh, that's great. But, and I will say, I remember the very last day of my, my year at Oxford, we were having our sort of wrap up party and. I was sitting there, you know, watching the sunrise after the party or whatever. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I go back to, you know, my exact same job uh, beforehand, it's like someone snapped my fingers. It's like just a year ago, my exact same job, exact same pay, exact same trajectory. Um, this was still all like 100% worth it, like just to have had this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a year felt like a good idea at the time, but another year would be just so much great, so much and so much like happiness and just life satisfaction to keep experiencing this for the full two years as well. So it's, it's a tough call, um, but there's merit to both, but if you can do the two, but there's nothing wrong doing the one year as well. Cool. So tell me a little bit about um, how things evolved. So you got there, you were kind of doing case interviews. Was that like just a real struggle? I assume it was a super struggle where you just drilling with your, you hear other engineering buddies or gals in the <laughs> yeah. class or like, who are you, who did you team up with? Like to help get your right? <laughs> Yeah, we did this. We did. We started the. Uh, there's like the case study club, and they kind of pair you off and you do practices. Um, but I'd say the real value here. Um, so like the, the the most valuable people for that club actually were the the previous uh, consulting analysts um, that had graciously volunteered to sort of help with you know answer these questions and everything. And yeah, they uh, they were essential. I would say so. Like I could think back to those folks and. Um, if, if you're starting out your MBA and you want to go to consulting, I'd, I'd find those folks early and just find some, some mm-hmm. kind angels who are willing to spend time because they don't really understand how it works. And, uh, and you know, there's really two parts of those, those case studies. I think they get a bad rap because looking back at them now, I, I understand the, the rationale. Um, I think they do a good job of just testing your sort of um, common sense approach to how, you know, they're, they're a good test for how consultants think. You know, like they're, they're good. Oh, I don't, I think case interviews, I think people are adopting them more. If anything, private equity mm-hmm. firms are adopting them. I don't have anything against them. I think they're just tough mm-hmm. and you have to kind yeah. of understand the structure. And if you've never done them, it's really hard um, yeah. to get into yeah. that. that and uh, there's, there's really two parts to it, right? I mean, there's one is just having a, a bit of commercial sense, right? Uh, which is hard to cram and teach for in four weeks, basically. Yeah. Um, the, the next part is, is actually sort of just just sort of knowing how to answer their questions, but you can absolutely cram for with the analyst. And the third part is being able to communicate effectively um, and just answer stuff in a very well-structured way, which you can also sort of cram for a certain extent. Um, it's yeah. kind of halfway between, but those latter two, you can, you can really both improve them, jump ahead 
I work with classmates, yeah. That's awesome. So tell me how that all kind of evolved and then how you started looking at your, your, your options um, as the year went on and uh, where you ended up coming out of school. Yeah, so we um, um, basically drink for that fire was I, I applied for a few different roles. So I, um, I, I spoke to the consulting folks. I spoke with the oil and gas folks, actually, because that was my engineering background. I did a bit of oil and gas engineering. You know, that's what I was engineer in, in Canada. Uh, and I sort of went down, you know, the, I, the ideal would be the buy side road, basically. So, you know, I was, I was going for the PBC path. Mm-hmm. Um, and those involved a bunch of discussions with all sorts of people. Um, I guess my, my journey, so first off, I had, I, had, I had traction in all three of those, um, sometimes in unexpected places, I would say. Um, interestingly enough, the, the only route that I had sort of, you know, traction through the formal channels uh, and where I actually ultimately got my first job out of undergrad um, was in that sort of finance side of things. Um, you know, I had a few consulting interviews, had a few oil and gas interviews, but it was hard to get really distinguished myself, um, you know, through the, the mass of people that are all going through those interviews, basically. Mm-hmm. And those ones didn't have any formal traction. Um, on the flip side, those ones I had some informal traction by meeting people at events and, and the, the, you know, the usual ways that I feel like are probably the most effective ways to get jobs. So I think uh-huh. to this day... Yeah. So how long did it take you to kind of get that full-time offer? And what's, what's typical, like the end of the year, did you have to wait till the end of the year? Were you in the spring before you kind of got that or most people like getting stuff locked up in the fall? Uh, no, it was most people actually took longer. Um, mm-hmm. There was, there's a couple that got it right in the fall, which, you know, just stressed the heck out of the rest of us, basically, obviously. Like, oh, no, I don't have my job here. What am I doing? What am I yeah. getting um, But the, the vast majority, uh, I'd say it happened within, within six weeks of graduation, maybe even less, you know, so oh, wow. I was, I was, yeah. It was so, also uh, in no. a tough time of uh, the economy, yeah. the world economy. Was this was also suffering. 2010. Yeah. So things were kind of melting down and um, yeah, it was, it was a different kind of meltdown than now as well. Uh, at least for the time being, I'll see what the future brings, but uh, you know, some, part of, some, some of this is still valid for the current situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was slightly ahead of that curve. I, I, I actually took the formal job, that they came through the formal channels in the end, um, which was Thurston and Young, uh, which I was only there for actually very briefly, uh, but I took it for a few reasons. I mean, it was a, it was a good foothold to stay in London because it was a London based offer. Uh, and it, I took a job in the transactions due diligence group. Um, yeah. TAS, which is, basically. TAS, exactly. Yeah, Transaction Advisory Services. It's a great place if you want to do some M&A type work. Oftentimes, there's people who, who start there and end up transitioning to investment banking, um, or it's a great career. But did you, so you wanted to stay in London, but why? Why not go back to Canada, US? You just loved it? Um, yeah, I mean, so first, like I said, it was a fantastic year and I really just enjoyed integrating into British culture and I really liked living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, you know, I really wanted to stay just from a quality of life perspective. Uh, secondly, if I was going back, I wouldn't be going back home anyways. Um, I had one consulting offer. I'm from Edmonton, Canada. Uh, which oh, is- the Oilers. The Oilers. You're it's killing me. I'm a Bruins fan. You guys crushed oh, me when I was eight years old and 10 years old. <laughs> 1988, yeah. Boston Garden. Oh. You know, the lights went out. You know that, that game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was yeah. at that game. I was at that game. No kidding. Wow. And then in 1990, I saw Gretzky holding the cup. I think or was Gretzky was still with you guys in 1990, right? 
yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think he left 90. He left for the Kings after, but he, uh, yeah, I saw the Oilers with the Stanley cup in the, in the garden, the old garden. That was funny. Awesome. Yeah. That's that's 40 years old, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was really because I was a kid when that was all happening too. When I was like, um, how old were you? It's funny because how old are you then? I was, I was four. Uh, in, in 90, I was eight. So I was born. Okay. So you enjoyed it. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's it funny because like I just thought the Oilers just won. That's what we did, you know. Yeah. Like it's like everyone just wins at hockey. It's so, like um, Boston sports fans are spoiled now with all the other teams winning championships every year. Like one of them. <laughs> right, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, Edmonton less spoiled these days. But anyways, yeah. So I uh, I, I had a few offers in Calgary, uh, which is as close as I could have come, basically. Yeah. Uh, but there's no real finance industry in Edmonton, and you know, if I wanted to do one of the target roles that I was looking at, then uh, there's, there's no way that I was going back home after that anyway. So uh, I might as well try and do it someplace that I was really passionate about. Um, sure. so yeah, and it looked like a deep kick. So I, uh, I started with Ernst and Young. Um, that was always a bit of a transitionary step for me. Um, did you, I th- I think it was, did you see it that way when you accepted the role? Or did you think, hey, I'm going to give this a fair shot? Because I know you had said earlier, like, try to stick, <laughs> stick into place for two years. But is that, is it something where you just like, it was totally different yeah. from what you thought or what? Uh, no, you know, the, the goal was actually to spend two years there as well. Um, and that's what I planned. But I, 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 I really wanted to get onto the buy side. Um, mm-hmm. part, of, part of the whole decision-making process that, you know, led me down uh, away from the past of sort of, you know, consulting on gas stuff was, was also, uh, I was looking to work for something a little bit smaller. And I know Ernst Young is a bad way to do that. And that's why I kind of figured it was a transitionary step. Yeah. Um, but good brand, it was, it good was, brand to have on your resume. Brand. Yeah, yeah, good brand. And it was a smaller team within Ernst Young as well. To be fair, so there's only you know this little group is not like their giant, you know, audit yeah. service where there's thousands yeah. of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Our, our entire operational transaction services team, uh, at the time, I don't know, 50 people tops. Um, in, in London or, or globally? Yeah, in London. But um, but there's there's only a few pockets around the world as well. So it's but it, it felt like a it had a fairly small team either. So that's what, okay. one of the things that attracted me to it. And then it also had a transition to what I, you know, believe could also be a, a really small team, a smaller company, which kind of mid-market buy side. Um, and yeah, so I go to that. I said, you know, we're going to have a shot and I'm going to keep my ear to the ground basically for other opportunities uh, in the actual legit buy side side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that and I wasn't really actively chasing after things. But had, you been the reading Wall Street, had you been reading Wall Street Oasis that said, if you don't have pre-MBA, private equity experience it's almost impossible to make it into private equity had you heard or come across oh yeah yeah definitely um you knew it was was very hard you knew Mm -hmm. it was unlikely but that Mm -hmm. that didn't deter you why didn't that deter you um well i I, you like to do hard things (laughs) i like to do hard things no it's it's funny um you're good at networking you figure i just have to meet the right people uh you know i'm actually pretty bad at networking too it's uh I guess it's the, I mean, it's a quote, the great wing, the great wing Gretzky, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Sure. So we, uh, you know, I figured yeah, I have to try. And I, I, I will say that I think, I think my career, despite this one transition has always been marked by um, having value and being unique, you know, and like mm-hmm. there's, there's, it's, and I think if it was less difficult than I anticipated, I guess, to actually make the crack into the buy side. Let me put it that way. Um, and, and, you know, part of a serendipity takes time. You have to create those opportunities and everything. Um, part of it is networking, but I think it's also just finding those, finding the ways that make you unique and, and positioning yourself and 
you know, it's, it's a little bit like sales. People always talk about like, how do you be a good salesperson? And they think it's being this really like charismatic, you know, like smooth talk, you'd have an answer for everything type person. Um, I think that the vast majority of that is just, you know, smart positioning and making those, you know, opening those opportunities up in the first place. Um, and it, you know, selling, getting a job is like selling yourself. So it's like, it's the same thing. Like you have to make sure that you position yourself uniquely and find a compelling reason for someone to buy. Right. So yes, absolutely. hundred percent agree. And it's a skill you can get better at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely. Like, it's a tradable skill. Did you, did you, you obviously got some of that training with all the case interviews you practice, you did and all that stuff. So that's <laughs> helped. But once you started at E&Y in, in TAS, did you, um, immediately you said you kept your ear to the ground but were you like actively applying to places were you was it three months in where you're like okay i need to start ramping up or what was that like that that transition i want to hear what your break was and how you even got the interview um or or did they make it a habit of interviewing from this group uh so i i was not actively applying at all no um my approach was uh the great thing about the ui thing is again with the great thing about like you know planning to be there for a couple of years uh is it, it gave me the time to make sure I did things right as well. Um, so it's not like I wanted, to, it, like I didn't rushing. have a, You're yeah, I didn't have a ticking clock above my head and time was on my side, basically, which is great. And like, uh, one of the, one thing I always like to ask myself is, is time on my side or against my side? And that really changes how you, how you act. And, well, a really famous venture capitalist in the, Tomas Tungus talks about that from Redpoint. He talks about how he uses a basketball analogy where like, you know, if, if you're the leading team, you press the game, you speed it up, right? If you're, the, if you're the, the better team, you try and speed it up. If you're the worst team, you try and slow it down, right? And you're trying to, like, slow your advantage. So um, it's, it's kind of like that. And it's, it's time on your side or not, right? So, like, I, uh, I had time on my side. So I could just be, you know, make sure that I found something that was actually a really great fit. Uh, and so I wasn't actively applying for stuff. I was mostly just kind of networking, meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like using friends. LinkedIn and stuff. At this point, was LinkedIn big or it was still pretty small? Uh, LinkedIn was, was smaller, but still sufficient. Um, so how are you networking specifically? We're using like, uh, MBA alums. Like how are you, how are you doing that? Yeah. Mostly, mostly friends, alums and sort of second degrees. And, yep. um, like everything else it's, it, it was, I was using, you know, the, the pretense that I was in a new city to sort of like leverage that and just sort of saying hi to people. Mm. Um, people were, people were, and I think still continue to be, uh, generally pretty open to have chats like that. Um, so I know I, people, I like take a, a lot of chats like that now. Like the first six months, let's say at, at uh, your EMY position, how many people did you like have an informational chat with? And tell me like, how did you go about it? Was it more just a curiosity thing, learning what they do day to day? Was it purely informational or did you drop any sort of hints that you were interested in what they did? I think this is really important because getting that, that subtlety and that nuance is really important. And I'd love for the listeners to kind of get a perspective of how you you kind of played with that, not to not to seem like you're too pushy or yeah. whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Especially if they were friends, if, especially if they were friends and connections from friends, I don't, you know, it can be a little more touchy. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's there's an adage in the VC world that you hear today, even um, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to raise a round, ask for advice. If you want advice ask for a round right so if you want to if you want, if you want money ask for advice if you want advice ask for money yeah uh, and i think that's that's true when you're when you're job hunting as well um you know jumping in and just asking are oh, you hiring right now can i get a job getting it's, it just kind of turns people off and it seems um a little bit disingenuous and it seems a little bit like desperate and so i, I would wholeheartedly recommend 
just approaching people asking for, for advice and tips and understanding what they do day to day and things like that. Um, were you genuinely interested in what they were doing day to day? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. definitely. And you that know, that, that 12 month fire hose was, there's still, you know, a lot of water at the side of that hose. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot that I didn't know. Um, and it was also, you know, there's certain like regional influences and how they do venture capital in London is a little different than how they do it in the Valley, which is different from New York. And so like, um, just going and having those conversations gave, gave me a ton of insight. Um, and it, it also helped me, you know, once, once you to talk to people, that's your question. I, I try and have like a few coffees a week, sort of on a rolling basis, two, three coffees just when I had a chance. And, mm-hmm. um, it starts to give you a feel for the ebb and flow of how, you know, the, the market that you're operating in works and, uh, you get a better understanding of, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's basically happening, like where people are hiring and if there's new funds coming on the horizon if there's people that's raised, if there's activities happening. Hmm. Um, so once you get your finger on that pulse, you get a much better sort of sense. And I imagine sitting from your position, you probably have your finger on that pulse of many industries. So I think you know what I'm talking about. But people I can't know better. a lot more than I do. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what is your take on this? Private equity recruiting, I'm, I'm always laughing because I get reporters contacting me all the time saying, what is going to happen with private equity recruiting now with COVID and work from home? And I'm like, I don't know. It's going to go even earlier because they can just, do, it's going to be remote anyway. So they're going to go in August. I'm on the record now, two podcasts in a row saying it's going August. Your <laughs> first folks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways, yeah, it was a couple of attached weeks, very casual. Um, just talking about, you know, how they do the job and how they make decisions and what they like, and what they don't like. And, um, I never really explicitly pushed. Were they hey, all you like now? private equity professionals, or were you targeting that specifically, or were you just meeting a whole bunch of folks? Um, I was targeting PEVC, um, yeah. and uh, so I was, I, I, you know, I was meeting others occasionally, but those would be the bulk, I would say, is, you know, folks in those two sort of buy side professions. And on the VC side, I, I assume you were playing up your engineering angle a little bit or tech angle <laughs> how did you when they yeah. asked you like oh give me your spiel yeah well one of the yeah one of the reasons why i chose vc was i mean i i felt is a really really interesting field for starters so i, I like vc a lot um uh, which we could we can get into why vc later but i uh yeah that that just plays back to you know being unique you know play to your play to your strengths um and as uh, an aspiring VC, yeah, being fully technical has, has always been really, really helpful. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember going in with, with ideas for how to ramp up their DevOps, basically, which is like, oh, yeah, like you guys. Every, so basically, every VC has like these, this, this no code solution where they sort of brewed together um, a bunch of pipelines and a CRM for it's kind of, a, you know, hack together a way to manage their deal flow. Um, and so a lot of those chats, I try and add value in every chat and I'd give them tips on, oh yeah, so you could take that thing and if you added this little, you know, Lambda function script here, you could actually automate this part and then you could prioritize these. And I'd, I'd sort of bolt onto their systems and add some sort of- Were they, like, were they like, hey, can you come in and do that <laughs> for us? Did you ever get somebody <laughs> trying to get you to come do it for them? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did it uh, with, with the fund that I went up working for. So that was one of the reasons, I guess, where I made that jump. But uh, yeah, so like people- Yeah, people tell me your breaks. Let's, let's, that's a good transition. Tell me like, what was the break? So you ended up meeting a professional at this PE fund. And what, mm. looking at your LinkedIn, it looks like you were doing kind of both PE and BC almost at the same time. Or like, what was that about? Yeah. Yeah, so this, this is a fund called AGC. Um, yep. They're a great group. And they, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of, a, you know, mid-sized private equity firm. Um, when you they, joined, uh, you remember the asset center management around that they were managing? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
they when I joined it was it was probably so now I believe it's up in the website so I can say I think it's uh last last I checked it was north of five billion. Uh okay, so maybe and, one or two billion when you joined or something like that. So it was it was it was close to a quarter of that or so when I joined. Yeah. Yeah, it was something it was something much smaller. So I was I was cool. It was it was, it was a relatively new fund. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I was I was there with roughly the first ten people or so and um you know they, they grew that a lot over the time that I was there and they grew the AM a lot a lot of the time that I was there. So um it, it was a great experience because it was growing. Um, and, but it was also a great break because they were relatively new to start out. So they, you know, just understanding my finger in the pulse and seeing where things were, uh, I knew this new fund was sort of stepping up and I ended up getting a bunch of introductions to one of the sort of founding partners of that fund basically. Um, and I had, I had a couple of ways in, which I think was, was impressive. I had a couple of friends sort of put me in touch. Um, meaning you had multiple references from several friends, multiple multiple references, which is always a powerful thing. And even to this day, if I get introductions to someone from two different people, I'm like, okay, I'll take two seriously. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I had that. But why did then, you take um, me seriously? Just cause you knew WSO. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was an amazing bread. Uh, I love WSO. Thank you. It's been invaluable. All this is, you know, this whole journey has been guided, you know, <laughs> reading WSO. We'll take, we'll take all mentioned. the credit. I love it. Yeah, we'll take all the credit. No, so, so, okay. So you're, you're yeah. getting kind of a multiple intros to this partner who's, mm -hmm. they've already raised fund one or are they in the fundraising process? They have fund one raised. Um, okay. They're already investing, but they're, they're very early on in that investing for like the first fund basically. Very cool. And so um, tell me how yeah, you, so then, I, I, I assume you went in like adding, trying to add a value right away. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I did the, the intern spiel and, um, I, uh, uh, and I really just had, we had, we had a great connection too. So like, um, this is, you know, like I said, I was, I was being very optimistic and waiting for someone who, who I thought would be great to work for and some sort of fund that was a good fit. And, uh, you know, I, uh, even at the time, I always believed that being in a rapidly growing place is, is generally great for a career. Right. Um, uh, which is one of the reasons why I like small companies because they can grow rapidly like that. It's really hard to grow when you have 30,000 people going to 31,000. Um, but yeah, you know, so like, uh, they're, they, they take, they take all the boxes and they, the work is interesting because it actually had both private equity and venture capital. So like they were a private equity fund. Um, this partner that I spoke with, he managed the venture capital fund. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had a chance to just do sort of both sides of that equation, which is cool. I spent more, a lot more time on the venture capital side of things, but I did a but bit how of did you even get into well. the process? Did they have any sort of like interview process where you were you paired with all the MBAs did they even interview MBAs were they trying to get bank kids out of banking tell me how that went yeah so the and so at the time they um we set it off and they had a need for one internship um and uh I guess a few things happened I mean first in first I, I think I ended up being already having conversations when they started launching that internship so like I was early in the process um, I have honestly spoke to a handful of people, but it was not your typical, you know, milk round interview 500, you know, second interview 250 and then like pick one kind of thing. So it was, you know, it's definitely the, uh, a smaller applicant pool as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's an internship. Is this a paid internship? And did you have to quit in order to take yeah. the internship? Yep. It was, it was a barely paid internship and it was, um, it was a paid internship, but it, you know, it was, it was not a long-term sustainable solution for sure. Uh, and there was nothing guaranteed at the other side of that internship as well. So I was giving up my, your hundred thousand yeah, job. 
whatever yeah, it was. that's right. <laughs> Hundred thousand yeah, right. something like that. Yeah, something yeah. around there. So something like that. For, job, there, yeah. for only and a three month stint, paying you a couple thousand pounds a month or something. Yeah, that's right. And exactly. And it, you know, I wasn't doing it for the money, but I was thinking long term. And it was kind of a bold move. Yeah. Um, mm. I, uh, I I know when I sort of leaned out to my family members for advice, some of them were kind of like, I don't know, Ryan, like this seems risky. And I thought, yeah, I guess it's risky, but this seems like a good shot. And look, looking back, uh, I feel like that was actually a really, really valuable tool um, to, to make that transition. Um, I'm And uh, I'm a big what believer was, the internship. What was a valuable, what was a valuable tool? The, the internship itself? Yeah, the, 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 the structure of doing the internship, I think, is, yeah. is actually really, really helpful um, for both sides. I mean, it was great for me because it let me really feel out the company and get a good sense for what I'd be doing and, you know, be very, like, methodical and figure that out. Um, it was great for the company for the same reasons as well as, like, um, you know, you can sort of, like, get a feel for the candidate and then there's sort of, like, a, you know, local environment it's not you don't feel pressure to try and fit a square pig in a round hole if there isn't a fit but you had already had conversations with the partner here and so when mm -hmm. you kind of came in and put your hat in the ring tell me like how you communicated that was he like what are you doing why would you leave your position for an internship with us did he warn you at all because i would be a little uh, bit uncomfortable having known you and talked to you and trying to give you advice mm -hmm. if you were like <laughs> actually and i'm gonna quit my tas job that's paying me really well to come intern for you almost with like there's almost an expectation on me to take you full time. So how did you kind yeah. of. He clarified that for sure. And he's like, you know what? We don't know what we're doing. This is supposed to be six months. And like, after that, we don't know what's going to happen afterwards. Okay. Um, and yeah, so he was, he was upfront about it. And I, I accepted that risk as well. It's, it's it was a unique opportunity, right? Like, um, like yeah. you say, it's, it's difficult to, to crack it in general. Um, I was again, sort of like unique background. And this is a company that I really wanted to work for. So I was like, you know what? I, I, you know, people kind of, said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? But there was never really any doubt in my mind. It just, my gut said it was the right move. So I just jumped in and went for it. And so what was um, the worst case scenario? You go six months, you don't, they say no. At like month five, they say, hey, you better start looking kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you're right. kind right. of back in the job market. Okay. Yeah. Back in the job market. I probably could have gone back to you if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, you, you know, but uh, so that didn't I, I happen. My feet. You were there for five years. Yeah, there for five years. So and, tell me um, how things evolved from intern all the way up to principal or v VP, however you want to call it. Tell me how yeah. things evolved. And, and yeah, I'd love to just hear what it was like day to day. Anything you can share with the, the audience would be great. Especially coming yeah, from like sure. the engineering background now with the MBA, did any of the stuff you learned, was it apl applicable at all? Or was it just like fire hose again and you learned a lot on the job? <laughs> yeah, it was... Um... It was a fantastic experience. They're a great fund. Um, and uh, honestly, I, there's a good chance I'd still be working there today if I hadn't moved to New York. But um, the, the experience was, again, drinking from a fire hose um, in a different way. And this, this way, it was there, was there was a clear outset, so I knew where to look. Uh, and I'm sort of, you know, it was, it, was, it was guided fire hose this time, at least. So there's a little more understanding about what I was trying to, to do with it, you know, um, before you took the pharaohs and you're like, you know, you learn about case study and you're like, all right, uh, if I'm, you know, am I going to be a consultant? So if that's the case, I guess I should remember this stuff. And um, I might not even end up using this at the end, but I should probably remember it just in case. So now when you have that purpose, it actually gets a lot more, a lot more streamlined, a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and it was, it was, it was 
busy for several reasons again because I was making that sort of jump into PVC was was sort of just new workflows for me and new approaches. Uh, also, they were a really fast growing firm, so um, we were all all hands on deck, just uh, you know having that continuous continued success basically. So they um, so was it, were you doing a lot of like when you as the internship, and then did they give you an associate role? What was the title after internship? And uh, yeah, so I, when did you hear that you were going to be staying on and getting a full time offer? <laughs> um, fairly late in the game, it was. Um, Fairly late, you said. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. They 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 hadn't officially announced it, and they're kind of. Um, they I, mean, I remember the discussion actually. It was like I was supposed to finish up the, at Christmas time, and it was probably. Um, uh, it was it was probably. Sometime in November. Late November, maybe even early December. Um, and and I was I was talking with my boss, and he's kind of like, so when are you leaving for the holidays? And I was kind of like, um, yeah, well, you know, probably the whatever the seventeenth, and I'm gonna take off then and he's like okay and when do you want to be back and I was like we haven't talked about this and I was like you know I, I I'm, I'm probably not going to be back <laughs> like I'm not coming back in January I thought we're done and he's like well assuming we can work everything out when would you be coming back and I was like I don't know January 2nd and he's like okay and like at that point in time I was like okay so they're going to keep you on like, they, they like so you didn't even know until December why didn't you yeah. push? why didn't you push you didn't feel like you didn't want to like you didn't feel like you had the place to do that as an MBA? Like, I'm surprised you didn't um, force the issue earlier. I could have forced the issue. I, uh, you know, I was, I was happy to spend the whole time doing the internship. Again, it was a little bit like that last day of the, of the MBA. If this was my, if I went back to Even say, if I go back, it. it's worth it. <laughs> this has been a great experience. Um, Would you recommend I know, I, though, not pushing there? Because what, what happens if he had said, yep, okay, you're done. Good luck. And you would have been well, in the holidays starting a new year with no job. And they'll pay. Yeah, yeah. What, what I, I, I did what I could to do that. Like, what about rent? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have saved up that I wasn't going to be starving in January either way. But like, um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I mean, I guess I, I hoped that they were going to do it. I obviously, apart from continuing those conversations while I was an intern and still talking to people. I didn't have like a huge amount of leverage to push it, to be honest. Like, it's not like I could have said, okay, do it now. So, um, but you know, I, I did it as diplomatically and tactically as I could have those sort of, you know, sort of nudge it in the direction I could and get some sort of understanding like that. Um, but they didn't confirm it until fairly late. In the oh, game. So there, yeah. you were nudging a little bit. You were kind of like, Hey, how are things yeah. going? Can we get a review kind of thing? Yeah, you, yeah. Things like that. And I was, okay. you know, collecting, collecting feedback. And, well, I'm surprised and, they didn't, they left you hanging that long. That's kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i to be fair i kind of i you know we it was it was we were having a great experience and um just you had a sort sense. of trajectory you had a sense because yeah. you were improving I, the feedback yeah better. Okay. i had a sense that we we had a great fit we were doing really interesting things working well together achieving a lot so i had a good sense it was going to work out in the end um so i don't have you too much longer so tell me how things yeah. tell me how things kind of progress so you associate or what's the what senior associate what's the title they gave you and then do you mind telling me like um why you ended up leaving it's, it looks like a move to new york yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. and specifically yeah maybe quickly touch on your time in mckinsey for a little bit and then <laughs> <laughs> we'll go fast go <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. For sure. um fantastic experience great fund uh would probably still be there i uh i made the jump uh started out as associate Kind of worked my way through uh, and left just sort of like kind of like a mid-level person, VP principal type person. Mm -hmm. um, the work evolved as you'd expect. Um, started off 
you know, supporting deals, you know, running, Processing. running charts, running the analyses, yeah, yeah. Um, doing, doing, doing the basic work and then ultimately uh, sort of leading deals, taking board seats, um, mm -hmm. uh, spending a lot of time with the companies on operational improvement. Did so, you enjoy that more than the deals? Um, I enjoyed both, to be honest. Okay. The, the, deals are, the deals are nice because they're a, a, a well-structured process. Yeah. There's, there's value in that, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, they're a little messy, but they're cleaner than trying to build a startup for sure. For sure. Um, okay. uh, but then it's more rewarding to actually do the building as well. You know, it's, you're growing the pie instead of like slicing the pie. And so that's, it is nice to actually work and get your hands again. You're, you can almost kick those things once, once again. So it's nice. That's something you can kick. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, did that. Uh, the reason that I made the jump, um, out of, uh, this friend was because I moved to New York. Um, Mostly to be with my wife, actually. So it was a, uh, there's always, there was, there was a girl. Uh, so, and she wanted to move to New York. So I said, yeah, we'll go to New York. Let's do that. Um, and this fund is a London-based fund. So they don't operate in New York. And, and you, when I came did across. You get, did you get married in, in London? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, MBA class. So okay. we, we from the, the MBA, MBA. From the MBA. Very yep. cool. So yep. you so, um, ended up getting married in London and then, but she wanted to go to New York. Is she from New York? Uh, no, she's, she's from Japan. And actually, but she, uh, she's an entrepreneur herself and her latest business, uh, was an online dating business and New York is a good place to build an online dating business. So she said, yeah, let's move to New York. Uh, and I like New York a lot. So I said, you know, what, let's make a jump. Sure. Okay. And, uh, yes, yeah, so went there and that the jump to New York was actually long story short. Uh, I used that as a chance to cross the table, um, which is the number one piece of advice that I, I give to every aspiring venture capitalist. Uh, you know, I used to run little sessions back at Oxford when we do the, uh, you know, do you want to be a VC? And uh, the first thing I always do is ask everyone's questions like, okay, so who, how many people here want to be a VC? And every hand would shoot up and say, how many people here want to be an entrepreneur? And like sort of half of them would go down. Um, and, and my message would always be then that like, listen, like VC and entrepreneurship are sort of two sides of the same coin. Um, so if, if you don't want to be one, you probably shouldn't be the other. You should probably be interested in both. And in fact, being a, there's this crisscross where if you want to be a senior VC, you should probably start as an entrepreneur. If you want to be a senior entrepreneur, you should start as a VC. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And so, I mean, I, I, I live by that ethos as well. And I've, I've always wanted to start my own thing too. So I use that as a chance to cross the table. And I said, you know, I've learned a lot in finance. I've learned a lot about how venture works, about how habitic works. Um, but now I'm going to go and do it myself. And that was part of a long transition where I did it pretty methodically, where I went back to school, got back to my technical roots, uh, used that. That experience is really built to help find fantastic co-founding team, which uh, worked beyond my wildest dreams. My founding team of my company just fantastic. So you so, were um, just for, for for the listeners, you were at you got a master in science from of computational data science from Harvard, right? From that's right, seventeen yeah. eighteen. So you in the move kind of stateside, were you doing that? Uh, was there like a, a campus in London? You had already moved. Did you move to Boston for that? How did that work? I, I was living in New York, uh, but I went to Boston for the week. So I was commuting and back in the weekends. Got it. Okay. So, so you did that for a while and then um, you had already kind of moved though, right? You already, you, you were at McKinsey for like 10 months or something doing like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, there was a brief interlude there as well where um, it was actually always intended to be a short-term project. Um, it was supposed to be a few months. We extended it out. Um, okay. But uh, just for something that interests sake and, in you know, I've always thought McKinsey's a great organization. So. Uh, I was I was helping them build out their new uh, fast growth tech team. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about when this idea formed. Was it while you were getting the degree, the computational or the data science degree? Uh, yeah. yeah, the data science. So like we had a few a few ideas and like sort of like a rough shape of how we wanted to sort of you know redefine analytics when we when we 
started. Uh, we started midway through the data science degree, and so we were double teaming the, the finishing the masters as well as starting Zenlytic. Um, we actually started in a bit of an unusual way, which is we spent a good amount of time at the start doing straight up services um, data science consulting. And we were we were consulting data scientists. We did that for a couple of reasons. First, to get to sort of bootstrap the pre-seed, you know, funding, uh, which is great, and then also to really understand where the problems are in the marketplace um, and how understand how companies use their data, uh, you know, understand the opportunities and the gaps and how they're not using their data very specifically. Um, and that worked swimmingly, you know, we worked with dozens of companies of all sizes from startups to Fortune 500s um, and, uh, and really understood this sort of overwhelming problem where we have more data than ever before. How did you really get those? How did you get those consulting gigs while you were still in school? Where you is it just through again through networking? Like who was it? Your co-founder bringing most of that, or was it you? Uh, I'm the I'm the senior person on the team with the mm -hmm. biggest sort of network. So I was doing most of the sales work. Yep. Um, and it was it was a bit of combination of own networks uh, plus um, you know professional consulting networks um, plus. A uh, little bit of, sort of lead what generation. Your, what your engagements were? They like you know two thousand dollars to like twenty thousand dollars type type engagements or like how? It, um, but more than that, usually we'd um, great. We did a couple of really small ones at the start, but you know our uh, I, I'd say they generally started at maybe fifty grand and went up from there. That's great. Um, yeah, and it was generally I'd say they it's like six six figure marks. So and you knew um, basically like the type of you knew that you could bring a lot of value to these companies who had a lot of data. So it was an easy kind of sell for you guys. Yeah. Again, and this is going back to the point of positioning and why it's important to be well positioned is, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a, a team of expert data scientists, um, that is just a very scarce commodity these days. Um, so the sales process was fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, people, every, every company in the world right now wants to add more analytical rigor. They want to add machine learning and artificial intelligence to their businesses. Um, and they lack the capabilities. So most of them lack the capabilities to do so. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a fairly straightforward sales process. People are generally quite enthusiastic, and it was good because we spent most of our time actually delivering instead of selling, uh, which just helps feed that flywheel up to building Zenlytic. For sure, yeah. And I I assume Zenlytic is almost like you're taking all the learnings you're getting from those initial clients and trying to build the software around it to make it more scalable. Is that the idea? Like in terms of the business yeah. model, like eventually, like you want to be able to take the data plug it into this system, help them answer a lot of interesting questions faster. So you guys aren't doing yeah. it all manually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But basically the, the goal is to automate ourselves. And yeah. um, we've <laughs> actually, we've ramped down the consulting at a percent. We're just, you know, now deploying the product uh, in the great. real world. But yeah, so it's like, it's, it's. Sounds like turn, it's going great. You into a have you, it's, have it's, you raised uh, any rounds? No, we've, so one of the goals that I, that I had as a venture capitalist was to put off VC funding as long as possible, um, which I think is, is a good adage for every business. Um, yep. I think a lot of people raise for the wrong reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't raise venture to build a product, for example. I'd raise venture to scale a product. Yep. Um, Don't you feel like you're there? Uh, what, you're uh, what, watch this. Watch this space. Watch the space. Watch. Watch this space. Yeah, we're um, we haven't fundraised anything yet, but we'll watch this space. Got it. Fair. Okay. Well. Um, Anything else before your story is super interesting. Anything you want to share for the younger listeners out there that may kind of want to follow in your footsteps or are curious about your path, anything like looking back that you would have changed or anything uh, foundationally you want to share? Um, let's see. There's a few, uh, when I, before we started the discussion, there's a few things that I, that came to mind that I wrote down said, we should talk about this that haven't come up. Um, 
how when you're when you're the PEVC today, getting into the PEVC when you don't have a banking background. <laughs> uh, overlap between financial yeah. analysis and data science skill sets. Yeah, yeah, that, that one's that's a whole new kettle of fish. We gotta skip that one. So I would say uh, first thing is if I were aspiring to get into the buy side today, especially with VC, number one is to start a community. Um, and you know you hear these stories of people that start the you know the five minute VC podcast or the whatever it is the the various people that are that are building communities of people um, to discuss you know venture and tech opportunities, start a deal list, whatever. I think that would be the first way to do it, start a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the one really interesting thing is I've, I've been really fortunate um, in my transition, but l- when I look back, I'm overwhelmingly struck with a sense of everyone in business school is so like focused on how to get a job. Um, they don't ask themselves, am I going to be good at the job in, in the first place? You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's like, um, you know, it's getting jobs one thing, but if you're going to be like the 30th percentile investment banker or whatever, like that's <laughs> don't don't get that job. <laughs> you know, it's not going to take you anywhere. So I think a big part of that is asking the right questions as well. Um, and then if you you know do decide that you're going to, how do you know? How do you know if you're going to be good at it or not? Just really look at the 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 senior level and what you need, the skill sets you need to be honest with yourself, or is there other ways? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about having those conversations. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know actually a lot of people, I can't really speak to banking that much because I've never been a banker, but I, I remember some of my friends had those conversations with bankers and, um, you know, senior bankers are very successful. And they said, you know, I wouldn't recommend getting into this business um, unless you're a certain type of person, this type of person. And for, for most people, and a lot of them can't even tell, they said for, for most people, including me, I don't know if it was worth it. <laughs> you know, like this approach in looking back, I don't think this is the the, the right path. So like, um, speaking with people, um, this, this is especially why it's good to ask that advice and just get them talking candidly, because um, then you can get a good sense for if you'd be happy with the job and if you'd, you know, excel at it. And a lot of those are sort of, you know, hand in hand, they should happen together. So um, anyways, at if you certain, do, and if at you, a certain base level of intellect, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you do decide you want the job, um, I think the name of the game more, nowadays more than ever, the number of applicants for every role increases, uh, it's be unique, you know, emphasize what makes you unique? Uh, now that I've been in the, the seat where I'm hiring a lot of people, um, you know, you, 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 I know exactly what it feels like to get a big stack of resumes that are all really exceptional, really, really strong candidates, but they all kind of look the same. Um, and quite often, you know, the, the one that sort of stands out is the one that has a slightly different skill set that can add value in a unique way. So um, the most powerful way to position yourself is quite often, you know, intersection of two things, I think is always a great way to do it. Um, you know, you're good at both finance and technology or whatever. Um, but, you know, have a, have a civil positioning that's unique and makes you stand up from the crowd. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It's been a great chat. And uh, let me reiterate that I am just an absolute disciple of Altered Oasis. And I've <laughs> always, always loved it. Ever since. It's been an invaluable resource for my entire career. So thanks so much for doing what you're doing. Appreciate um, it. And say, and your start, a- say, say your startup one more time. Oh, Zenlytic. Zenlytic.com. No code data science. No code data science. Check it out. All right, guys. Thanks. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.